Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So welcome to a new theme. We've been riffing on the word empowerment all year, 2020, and what a year, oh boy. So this new theme for the next few shows is called Embrace. The team voted and we said embrace. So the definition of embrace is to take or clasp in arms, when we all love to just do that right now, Take or receive gladly, eagerly, willingly, and I'm holding my hand over my heart because I want to receive in my heart. Um, Embrace is also to avail oneself, to give of oneself, to encircle, surround, enclose, include, contain. And again, boy, don't we all want to do that right now, huh? Embrace. So I hope you enjoy this month's different shows because it's all about embracing not only yourself, but others and your empowerment. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome to uh, another episode under the heading of embrace, um, embracing what is, embracing life, embracing whatever it is you want to embrace. Um, But first, before we dive in with my guests, I want to remind everybody to get a copy of my book, Live Your Empowered Life. It's a 30-day journey. It's interactive with my website. It um, is is actually test-driven by me and now several other people. Um, And the reason why it's interactive in my website is because there's guided meditations, there's Um, videos. There's all sorts of things because when you do the work in the book, I I want you to know that you're not alone, that that you have me as a go-to. And uh, so, yeah, get the book. Probably time to do it. And also, I have a Facebook group called Live Your Empowered Life, the group on Facebook. Woohoo! And in there, I do uh, workshops and also guided meditations that are not for public viewing but just for the people in the group to uh, support individuals in activating the light and love that they are and coming out into the world as the light leader that they are. So with all that and much to do about nothing, (laughs) I want to welcome today's guest, who is an extraordinary woman. I had the um, great honor to be on her podcast. She's a podcaster uh, of a show called Living the Empowered Life. No mistake there. She's also a speaker, a coach, and an author. I want to welcome Tamika Lori Pugh. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to dive into our conversation. I know. It's interesting because when when you interviewed me, it was fascinating the way the conversation went. And I have no doubt we're going to have a really fun, inspiring conversation today. So You wrote a book. I love the title. Uh, It's called Wounds to Wisdom. Yes. And so tell everybody what the book is about, because I think it's important. Absolutely. So Wounds to Wisdom, 
It's, so the full title is Wounds to Wisdom, I'm Still Standing. Um, so I definitely have to tell the backstory of how I got to the book and how I got to Wounds to Wisdom, I'm Still Standing. So unfortunately, we go through things in life that aren't always the best, um, things, traumatic experiences uh, that we don't expect to go through. And so unfortunately, um, I was a domestic violence victim at one point. Uh, my husband was very abusive emotionally. Um, spiritually abusive. It makes sense. A lot of people don't understand that there's a such thing as spiritual. We're not allowed um, to practice your specific uh, morning ritual or whatever it is that you want to do. So spiritual abuse, financial wow. abuse. Uh, I had never and, heard of. Yes. there's. A I, such I had thing. never heard of spiritual abuse. When you're stopped from practicing um, your religious beliefs, stopped from being able to pray, being able to meditate, being able to do those things to feed your spirit. You know, once you break down a person's spirit, I often say it's easy to heal a broken bone or a broken arm, right? It'll heal. But how do you heal a broken spirit? How do you yeah. heal a broken soul? And so before he ever laid a hand on me, I was just completely broken from the inside. Um, oh. and people often on the outside and they see what they would consider beauty, but not knowing that my insides were just destroyed and torn. And so before he ever laid a hand on me, um, I thought that I got a place where my self-esteem was so low that I thought I deserved whatever was happening to me at that point. And so I didn't know how to fight back. Spiritually, I didn't know how to fight back. Emotionally, I just couldn't fight back. I was completely drained and exhausted. Um, and unfortunately, that turned into physical abuse. Um, the day that I decided to leave him was the day that he literally tried to take my life. Um, we were driving in the car and I said, I'm leaving you today. And he said to me, if you leave me, he called me the B word. If you leave me, I will kill both of us. And at that moment I was driving. And so at that moment he proceeded to take the steering wheel to try to force an accident. We ended up on the side of the road, and that's when he beat me and strangled me until I was unconscious. I ended up in the middle of the interstate with cars swerving around me, trying to prevent from hitting me. And so, I mean, cars, imagine you're in the middle of the interstate, you're unconscious, you come back to consciousness, all you hear is beep, beep, and cars swerving around you. Wow. Um, that experience alone, being able to survive that, I knew that there was a bigger calling on my life, that there was something, like my life was spared for a reason. Um, there's no reason why I shouldn't have been hit by a car or something. But at that moment, um, he was arrested and that was the day that became a survivor, a survivor. Um, but that was also the day that this journey of healing began, which is a lifelong journey. I think it's something that's lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. I'm remarried. Um, to an amazing husband, uh, but there's still healing that's taking place. I'm still going through that healing process, um, reminding myself all the time um, of who I am and that I was called for something greater and that I do have a specific mission in this world. And that is specifically uh, to help women who have gone through the same thing that I've experienced. I was able to overcome it. I was able to apply specific tips and tools through the book, Wounds to Wisdom, um, that women can use to go through that healing process. And so um, I actually counted a blessing and an honor 
to be able to use my story and to be able to use my voice to make a difference. You know, growing up, I, I didn't, I wasn't a little girl that said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a domestic violence advocate. Right. I'm going to be a domestic violence speaker. Like nobody thinks about that. That's not what I had in mind, but the universe kind of puts things that I call in divine order and they happen the way that they're supposed to happen. And so that's what got me to where I am today. So back to the book, that's how I wrote the book, Wounds to Wisdom. Um, I had to figure out how did I get myself into this specific situation? How did this happen to me? So I had to go all the way back, April 19th, 1975, when I was born. And I literally broke my life down into five-year increments. What happened from zero to five, five to 10, and just thinking about all the times that I was potentially wounded as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult that ultimately led um, to the abuse of marriage. And so there were always little things along the way. Even dating in high school, you know, I often say it's the same guy, different face. I always dated the guys that were obsessive. They were, you know, just obsessed. They're a little bit, um, they had some type of anger. Maybe they had some issues at home, but, um, being able to figure out how I got to where I was, that was the only way that I could truly be a survivor. I feel if you don't learn from your mistakes, you'll keep repeating them over and over and over again. So wounds to wisdom, learning from those mistakes, learning from those things that hurt, hurt us, asking ourselves the question, what is the lesson in it? Yeah, I think that that's a brilliant um, spiritual practice. Or, or psychological practice, uh, what you did of going back and breaking it down into one year, one to five, five to 10, to yes. really kind of pinpoint. I've done that for myself a couple of times, and it's interesting what shows up, and then you really can connect the dots. I, I uh, before I married my ex-husband, now ex-husband, uh -huh. um, I was in a a psychologically abusive relationship and I didn't realize it. Um, I was living with the guy for about a year and we would argue and fight. I think he was a closet. I'm just, I think he was closeted. I think he was gay and not owning it. And I was too enamored thinking that, you know, once we moved in, we'll get married. Why I was looking for that. I have no clue now, but in hindsight, you know, if I track back before that person, mm -hmm. there were those those places of of having my um, esteem dinged, if you will. And it wasn't until uh, we got into a huge fight, and I remember standing on uh, the stairs of our apartment, and there it had a metal, uh, you know, wrought iron um, stair hand. Holder, yeah. what do you call them? Yeah. And I was adamant about trying to be heard, which is my thing, not being heard, not being yeah. seen. Yeah. Adamant about my opinion. And I started beating my arm against that uh, rail yeah. until I broke the skin. And I didn't even know yeah. I had because I was so angry and he was so emotionally abusive. And I, I remember going downstairs to talk to some friends. Afterwards, I was crying, and one of them grabbed my arm and said, what did he do to me? And, and at that point, you know, I, I did it to myself, but I know there's lots of women in these kinds of situations where we harm ourselves because 
the abuser is so good at what they do that we don't know, right? We think it's us. We are 100% correct. And oftentimes we end up harming ourselves and we don't even realize that we're causing harm to ourselves. Even with me medically, um, my blood pressure was, and I wasn't even 40 yet back then. I think when I left him, I was 33. It's been about 12 years, 13 years now, but um, my blood pressure was high. Uh, My liver was failing because Mm. I was taking Tylenol and different medications because I would have migraines all the time. So one illness led to another, led to another. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm too young to have this many medications, you know what I mean? On my sink that I have to take every day. And it's the interesting thing is that once I left him, we filed for divorce. Maybe a year or so later, I had a clean bill of health, no high blood pressure. <laughs> my liver healed itself because I started doing natural things like juicing. And so that's what really started me on juicing um, and using natural ways to to help with different elements and things of that nature. So that's what really got me on the path that I'm on today. Yeah, and I I, I echo that because I do a whole naturopathic um, modality. And in fact, I don't even go to regular doctors anymore. Don't tell my parents they're still alive and they think everybody <laughs> should go see the doctor. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, no, I don't do that. I, I, I trust my inner wisdom now. I trust myself now. And if I am led to do some naturopathic healing, nine times out of 10, it's the right thing for me to do. I'm not saying that's true for everybody out there, uh, but like for us, it's important. And part of that to me is um, regaining your own power. I have dominion oh my over my body. Yes. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Regaining your own power mm-hmm. and being able to take control of what we put in our bodies. Yes. And I remember when I was married to my first husband, uh, he, we, didn't, we never had enough money, right? We never had enough money for a lot of reasons I won't go into. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I was already, my health was failing because in hindsight, I was so not happy in that marriage and committed to staying, right? But it was a mentally uh, abusive thing. Mm -hmm. And um, whenever I would go to a naturopathic doctor of some sort, you know, to try doing, like you mentioned, juicing, to, to, you know, check my blood in a different way to see what else was going on, my ex-husband would just have a, a conniption because... We didn't have money for that. We didn't. We had money for him to go do certain things. Right, yeah. But we didn't have money for Susan to take care of her health and get better. Yeah. Yeah, so now that I'm, I'm, I'm in a new, brand new, amazing relationship and everybody out there, there's, these are parts of what it takes to survive and yeah. to thrive after after abuse is to find the the right fit the the one that is the kind person the loving person the the good fit and so you know my my current spouse I do what I do he does what he does you know he goes to his regular doctor and I don't tell him what to do I try not to actually I try not to (laughs) but he doesn't really tell me what to do and that's a healthier relationship because we're both individually taking care of ourselves absolutely and that's the way it should be sounds kind of like my marriage now 
Um, I think I'm the healthy person. I'm drinking green smoothies. I make these amazing um, flourless vegan pancakes. And my Ooh. husband's like, I don't want those. I want buttermilks. I'm like, all right, I make his buttermilk and I make my vegan pancake. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar thing going on in my, in my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'd, both, I, I'd probably sit down with your husband with the buttermilk pancakes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So then, Tamiko, um, now that you are this empowered woman, and, and yes, I, I totally agree with you, the, the um, constant checking in with yourself, or, or maybe I'm just talking about me, of, you know, am I falling back into old um, beliefs of not being good enough or worthy of love or, or, or you know, powerful or whatever? It does take um, a recheck all the time, I think. It, it really does. Um, you never know when those limited beliefs will kind of sneak back up on you or you get little chatter in your ears. Uh, there's been times when you know, I want to release a specific program that I have been working on. And, you know, I'm like, no, are you good enough for this? What are people going to think? What are they going to say? Oh, she's releasing another program. Here she is again. You know, like those little voices come, but I have to constantly remind myself that I am good enough. And so in my office, I just have positive affirmations all over the place. I pull up affirmation card every morning. Um, this one this morning talks about being patient and, um, I have a sign over here that says, never stop dreaming, be brave, this girl can. Like there, I have affirmations all over the place. Um, and it works for me. It, it works. Yeah, I do the same thing. I don't know if you can see, there's like colored things right here behind me. Those are all my affirmations uh, when I face my desk there that I read. And then I, I have inspirational cards, Tomiko, that go with my book. And this is what I pulled today. So funny. And now we're talking about it. This one is an affirmation. Uh, all these affirmations I wrote and worked when I was going through my divorce. Wow. And this one is, I am beautiful, powerful, and strong. I love that. I am beautiful, power, powerful, and strong. Yep. Love and that. I think, I think that's important. Affirmations are important for me at least, um, because that, that negative self-talk had been so central um, it was what was modeled in my home, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it just didn't ever occur to me that people could think differently, right? That there were different thoughts until I got out in my own and, and I, I developed my own spiritual practice, right? And I, yes. I researched everything and everything and anything spiritual. I read so many different kinds of... Um, ancient wisdom and all of that stuff because I was so curious and um, my spiritual practice then became what I now stand on, right? It's my, that's my foundation. So I can't even imagine you having been in a, a situation where you were disallowed to, to investigate practice and believe, you know, to follow whatever faith you had at the time. I can't even yeah, imagine that. that. Anything that would allow me to empower myself was taken away from me. And so that's how we become disempowered. Yeah. But you mentioned something about, you know, your affirmation cards and reading your affirmations. I love looking in the mirror, doing mirror work. I have my clients do it, looking in the mirror. So the affirmation you just read to me, 
I would literally stand in the mirror for about three minutes and repeat that over and over. I just think it's something about mirror work and looking at yourself in the eyes and speaking positive, you know, affirmations over yourself. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people shy away from doing that kind of mirror work. I, um, it's so funny. Uh, so at Monday mornings I do at nine, I do a guided meditation inside my Facebook group. And this last one, uh, I was, I was getting ready. I was putting on my makeup, looking in my mirror and all of a sudden I kept hearing, this is what you're supposed to talk about. I'm like, what? This is what the meditation is looking wow. at yourself up close where we find all the blemishes and all the things wrong with us. And then, and then taking a step back and another step back until you see the whole picture, which is absolutely more beautiful than looking at all the negative things with a microscope. Yeah. I think we're just afraid to see our imperfections. We don't want to really see what's going to be looking back at us, whether it's yeah. our imperfections or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's something I think that will help. It, it actually builds your confidence muscles to be able to look at yourself and really recite those affirmations. I've had clients tell me, you know, they've cried. You know, when I give them specific affirmations to recite and do mirror work, they're like, I literally cried through the whole thing. I bet. I bet. It is, especially I think for women. And Now, are most of your clients women? Women, yes. Yeah. Um, and mine are too. I think for women to look, we spend so much time trying to make ourselves look pretty, right? And that right. You, you need a mirror for that, but we're not really looking at ourselves, you know? And, and like, if you go out in the world when you can, uh, you know, people walk by a window and you see people looking at themselves in the window, but they're not really seeing themselves, right? They're seeing their appearance of how they want to look so out in the world they can be accepted right yeah and it yes. takes a lot of courage to to look at ourselves in the mirror to really see ourselves I, that takes tremendous courage and i just i know that because i speak from experience there i went through several years uh where i i really couldn't look at myself in the mirror wow, wow. yeah and it wasn't until after my son was born and i turned 35 and I remember finally ma making myself do this mirror work right standing there looking at myself and I thought okay now now you're a woman and I felt it you know it was like okay I can be a woman now as opposed to uh you know not wanting to grow up whatever right. wanting to be yeah. whatever the immature thing was but that was a power moment for me of really witnessing the truth of who I was, and now I was this young woman. Yeah. And that's so, what it is, truth. What we're looking at is just the truth of who we are, you know? I mean, we've been quarantined. We don't really get to go outside. I thank God I have a huge backyard, so I'm able to kind of enjoy the outdoors a little bit more than a lot of people can. Um, but even today, just to be transparent, you know, I thought, oh, we're going to do this audio video. I have on my little bonnet, you know, Nobody's going to see me in the minute, the moment I realized that I was going to be seen, I said, hold up, let uh -huh. me go fix myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I had to look in the mirror and say, okay, Tamika, what, you know, the physical part, I had to, you know, brush her up a little bit, but that's just, that's just how we, um, this is how we look at ourselves and look at the world. So. Mm -hmm. 
there's a place, and maybe that's a gift that women get to have. Uh, you know, there is a place where if I put on makeup, I feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. Then there's days where I don't, you know, I'll go for days without putting on any makeup. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, okay, that's not bad. You look okay. Right. Absolutely. But I I know that there's like this process or ritual that women go through uh, when they get dressed that is building their esteem. And now it's building it from the outside in. And I, I love it when we can build the esteem from the inside out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember doing a part of wounds to wisdom. We talk about wounds to wisdom. Um, oftentimes I talk about how we cover up our wounds. Mm. We cover them up with expensive handbags and nice mm-hmm. clothing. And the makeup, and just so happened, the makeup is called Cover Girl. So where do you oh, cover it? Right. Right? Right. There's a makeup called Cover Girl. So I get to cover up all my imperfections and look like I'm perfect. But literally, I haven't worked on what's happening on, on the inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through my, from my ex-husband and people would say to me, oh my gosh, like you look great. You look amazing. But my insides were completely torn. And, I, and I'm like, I wish a person could literally look me in the eyes and see the hurt and pain that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately mm-hmm. people, you know, they see what they see on the outside, even doing um, domestic violence awareness month. I do a lot of TV interviews. And I smile a lot. That's just, I like to smile, right? We have enough sad things happening in the world. And I've had um, news reporters say to me, wow, you're sharing the story, but you're smiling through the whole thing. You don't look like you've been abused. And I'm like, what should an abused woman look like? Should I hold my head down? Should I still be crying? I've gone through the healing process. And I, if I can't be on TV or I can't be in front of a group of women who are hurting, who are in the midst of this I can't look crazy and you know be crying and all emotional I have to be strong for those other women so that they'll know this is what it looks like on the other side yes. of the abuse so yes. you have to be a role model yes um, and it can be confusing when somebody says well you don't look like you've been through abuse so what should I look like you know what I mean <laughs> that is a very odd question actually um I would never have thought to ask you that you know, I would never have thought to say that because it happens several times. Yeah, it's so that just leads me right around to the assumption that people make when they're not really looking at you, right? They right. think they're seeing you. You know, you. This happens all the time, and now, and right now, we're recording during the time of the quarantine and isolation, and don't everybody's wearing a mask? So who would? Which is another interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody's wearing a mask. And you can't see who the person really is. You can't. You can see uh-uh. their eyes, but you can't really see what's underneath that mask. What I'm noticing where I live, people will look at you and they look away. Even though, which is fascinating to me. Wouldn't you think if you've been isolated, you want to make eye contact? You want to you wanna like connect with people? And I find more people look and look away. Which yeah, are, um, I, I don't know what that's about causing us to be a little bit more disconnected than what we typically are. You know, even in the grocery store lines, people aren't talking to each other anymore. You know, we have our masks, we're getting what we have to get and we're out of there. There's no conversation. How are you doing today? It's like, let me get my stuff and get back home. Yeah. Which is sad. I think it's very sad. It makes it hard for people going through things 
to heal. And um, because of the isolation, are you finding uh, more people reaching out to you because they're experiencing domestic violence? Because there's, there's a definite spike in that right now. Yes, there's an increase in domestic violence right now. So um, I have a nonprofit organization, the Still Standing Alliance. We specifically focus on domestic violence advocacy, awareness, and prevention. And right now, it's very difficult for us as an organization to be able to help victims because of the state of the world right now. Um, shelters are over are, are full, so they don't have space in the shelters. You have women and men all over the world who are trapped with their abusers. Whereas let's just say, you know, they could go to work, that's their opportunity to get away. That's their moment of freedom away from that person. I have a friend that works at City Hall um, here in the city of Atlanta. And she said, as soon as we, we won't um, sheltering in, she said there were still people trying to come to the office. And she realized that they were victims of domestic violence and that was their mm -hmm. getaway. The day. Yeah. So now they're trapped. You can still call 911 and things of that nature, but where are they going to go? Right? right. We're, and we're quarantined, we're social distancing. There's really not any place for them to go. So, what we've done is we've created like domestic violence safety plans where that teaches them how to maintain in the how to, how, how do I protect myself if I have to be in the household with my abuser? So, what are some things that I can do? Maybe knowing what their triggers are. It's unfair that they have triggers, but in an effort to be safe, knowing what their triggers are. Is there something that I can do to keep myself busy? Is there a craft that I can do? Um, but just making sure that you, you're able to keep your distance and not, you know, not trigger that person. And so mm -hmm. just coming up with self-care rituals that you can do throughout the day, throughout the week. Can you read a book? download something on Kindle, something to keep yourself busy, but also practicing self-care. Yeah. So, uh, so where do they go? Where do people go that are listening to find that, um, that what you just described, that plan? So uh, the Still Standing Alliance, like I said, we help domestic violence victims put together a domestic violence safety plan. Um, you can reach us at thestillstandingalliance.org. Um, you can also email us at info at the still standing alliance .org. A lot of things are being done digitally, digitally now. Um, and so we're able to send. So we have a couple of different types of safety plans. So let me talk about that a little bit. The first one is the safety plan. If you are still in the house with your abuser. Here are some things that you can do to protect yourself. The second safety plan is how do I leave my abuser? Because you don't want to just say I'm leaving you because that's typically when you see the murder rates or you yes. see. Because um, then they'll, he'll throw you on the interstate. Right. Like, yes. And so they've lost control at that point. Yeah. Um, it takes a fraction of a second for someone to kind of go insane for that moment. So there's a plan that you have to put together. How do I leave this relationship safely? If I have children, is there um, a code word that I can use with my children when they need to cry for help or when it's time to leave? Things of that nature. Um, and then there's a safety plan for after you leave. How do I protect myself? How do I get a protective order? Um, who do I need to tell? Who do I need to provide this protective order with too? So three different types of safety plans. 
We have advocates on staff that help with that. So the stillstandingalliance.org, all the information was, is there. We also have downloadable resources. Um, there is a link on the page that you can click on and type in your zip code and it'll tell you the nearest shelter to where you are. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous that you've developed you. that, Tomiko. And, uh, and I just want to say to listeners, if you are not in a domestic violence situation, there's still some good you can do by donating. Absolutely. Donating to the standingalliance.org cause yeah. because those women need help. And we're one of the smaller organizations. Uh, one of the smaller organizations, but we do a lot of work. And I think what makes us stand out from some of the bigger organizations is that we don't get paid for the work we do. I don't go to work and check in uh, the time clock and I'm getting paid to sit at this desk. We do it because we're passionate about it. Everyone that is a part of our board, our executive board, our volunteers, they're all, they've all experienced domestic violence, whether it happened to them, um, maybe they were a child survivor, they know someone that this has happened to. And so we're all passionate about the work that we do. And so everything we do is done with care and empathy which is so important. It it's is. So important. Because oftentimes, uh, don't you find when someone's in that situation, they think that they're all alone, that nobody they else can know about this? Um, so many women, and, and I say and men, because one in seven men are impacted by domestic violence. One in four women are impacted by domestic violence. Um, but there are so many women and men who are suffering in silence. They're suffering in silence because they don't know who they can tell. They don't know who to go to. They don't want to be embarrassed. You know, a lot of times people say, well, why didn't she just leave? And I, when people say, well, why didn't she just leave? I say, well, why does he hit? Why are we victim blaming? But she doesn't leave. Here's another statistic. 99% of domestic violence victims are experiencing some form of financial abuse. They're stuck because of financial abuse. They don't have the cash to get they out. They don't have the cash. They don't have the means to leave. When I and left my husband, I left with two children, and he cut off all of the bank accounts immediately. I had $500 in my pocket that day, and he cut off, cut off access to all of the bank accounts. I had access to nothing. Um, I was a stay-at-home wife. I did mm-hmm. a little bit of real estate on the side, but that was it. And so when it came time to leave, I didn't have anything. And I'm going to be honest, and my mom and I, we've talked about this. I talk about it in my book. Um, I remember telling her I need to leave him. We're not safe. And I remember her saying, you live in a seven-bedroom home, three stories. Can't you up on the third floor? And nothing against her. She thought that she was telling me what was right. You know what I mean? To her, it was like, well, you guys have all these great cars. You have a beautiful home. It's big enough. You know, you have, a, you have three stories. Go to the third floor. And I'm like, it's, it's beyond that. It's beyond me just going to the third floor. Yeah. And we've had this conversation, her and I, and, you know, we've healed from all of that. Um, but oftentimes you don't even have anyone that you can go to. Because people don't realize how bad it is. And I've had a lot of people that said, you left that home, left a seven-bedroom home to move in a one-bedroom apartment and sleep on an air mattress with my two children. Because that's where I found the most peace. The first yeah. night we stayed in that apartment on the floor on an air mattress, there was so much peace. And so now 
I understand the importance of protecting my peace. Any decision that I make, if it doesn't protect my peace, if it doesn't sit well with me, I'm not doing it. Good <laughs> for you. Peace from it, I can't do it. Good for you. And Tamiko, isn't there also just going, just tapping a little bit on, on like what your mom said, isn't there also in domestic violence where the perpetrator is able to bully the other family members so oh, that yeah, they're, they will so that they're afraid to help the person that's being victimized. Because they don't want to be involved because they feel like, well, he's going to hurt me too. Mm-hmm. You know? um, he's going to come best friend at the time. Her and my ex-husband would go at it all the time they would always argue um, and I would leave and go stay with her and then go back and she's like then she got to a point was like I'm not comfortable with you coming here yeah yeah uh years ago I lived next door to an older couple they were in their late 70s early early 80s and um when we all the other neighbors said you've got to watch out for the woman who was about 411 maybe tall little Italian lady and her husband was this big tall six foot four guy right and we'd maybe been living next door to them two months and you could hear with the windows open him screaming and her yelling and you could hear a a switch you know a a strap and and I we started calling the cops and the cops would come and they'd go talk to them and they would deny and then they come and talk to us and they say, well, we, she doesn't show any signs of having been abused. And I'm like, no, 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 it's the little old lady. And, and so then eventually I got a hold of their kids and their grandkids and none of them wanted to step in and help. None of them. No. And even when, right. yeah, even when she finally beat him in the shower and left him there for 48 hours. You've got to be kidding me. Wow. Uh-uh. This is like a lifetime movie. It is. It is. And the cause of death wasn't that she beat him to death. The cause of death was pneumonia. Isn't that fast? So, you know, so they don't even get, you know, justice. It's just frightening. And the, and the family was so afraid of this little 411 lady. Wow. You know, that, that they wouldn't intercede. These are all men too, by the way, sons and grandsons. None, nobody wow. wanted to step in. It's so, so you don't, you know, if you've got somebody coming to you, everybody out there listening, and they're yeah. saying, I need out, I need help, I am being abused, you need to listen with, with ears wide open because that is a cry for help. It is. Ears wide open, eyes wide open, um, pay attention. Pay attention to signs if a person is giving you a sign. You know, I always just, people always say they don't want to get involved. You know, there's a safe way to get involved. You can always call 911 anonymously. But I always just say, if you see something, say something. You know, once you say something, do something. And what I mean by doing something is what are some ways that you can help without directly having to involve yourself, making donations to nonprofit organizations that actually do the work, donating clothing that you no longer wear. Like we have a program, um, our survivor empowerment program, which is a program where we have domestic violence survivors come um, and we teach them basic life skills that they probably didn't have. So financial empowerment seminars, um, self-esteem classes, as well as um, career progression. So this is how you interview for a job. And so we 
do live is- interviews and then we give them a lot of times they leave with what they have on and so we collect business attire that we give to them for their job interviews and things of that nature so just making a donation there there are ways that you can support and not have if you're not the person that wants to advocate and hold up a sign and go down to city hall you can always donate something yeah thank you for that too i appreciate that so Tamiko is also a podcaster. She's got a show called Living the Empowered Life, and I invite everybody to listen to her shows. I know you're having amazing conversations with people. Absolutely. I love it. I just absolutely love it. Living yeah. the Empowered Life. Um, are we even asking a question? I'm just talking. I'm like, is she going to ask me no. something? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh, but if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? They can go to TamikoLaurie.com. That's T-A-M-I-K-O-L-O-W-R-Y.com. And on all social media, it's at TamikoLaurieQ. Great. Great. Tamiko, thank you so much for, uh, I got chills as, I, as we're starting to close. I just want to say thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for having me. And I want to say thank you for being the grace and beauty and the courage that you are because it's needed in the world, especially right now. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to thoroughly explain um, wounds to wisdom and what domestic violence looks like and, and how the community can get involved. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. It's my honor. So with that said, I'm just gonna end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanborrell.com. You can see all of the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanmorell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.